visitors in the room, and I just want y'all to know, uh, David and Leah and I do not get together and say, okay, here's the verse. I mean, they know, well, I'm preaching through the book of Luke. They know where I'm going next week. I'm going to pick up where we left off, but they don't know what other passages that I'm going to be using or any of that kind of stuff. And so right off the bat this morning, uh, David set the tone for us in two ways. Number one, he showed that we all mess up and it's okay. It's not a big deal. Amen. All right. And then the, he's not even in here. I wasted. Oh no, he is here. Okay. All right. And then the second thing is he brings up Abraham and we're going to talk about Abraham and Sarah today in the very specific way um, that, that he shared this morning. But um, it is good to be here. I'm glad. I'm excited to, to get to worship with you guys today. I hope y'all all had a great weekend. Mine, if you were wondering, was significantly less chaotic than last week. Um, if you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, that's okay. I can fill you in later. Um, last week, we looked at Mary's uh, reaction or Mary's encounter, her response to Elizabeth's testimony about what God was doing in her, um, about the fact that Mary's baby uh, was going to be the Messiah and how Elizabeth's baby responded to Mary's voice because of Mary's baby. Y'all remember all that? We're talking about John the Baptist and, and Jesus. Both of these mothers are pregnant and, and we're going to talk about it this morning. I'm going to remind you of all the things that God was doing there. But I, I want us to see over the last few weeks, we have seen how our obedience to God allows us to see a clear picture of who he is, but it also allows other people to see a clearer picture of who God is as well. And not only do we experience God-exclusive activity, but our obedience can bring about God-exclusive activity in other people's lives. It's not just about us. As we begin this morning, God wants us to, to remember, to be reminded that our goal is to know Him and to make Him known. That's why we're in this study is for us to know Him personally and then be able to share those personal experiences with other people so that they also can come to know him. When we talk about knowing God, we're not talking about knowing about God. And we as a church have talked about that a lot in the past. When we're talking about knowing God, we're talking about knowing God by personal experience. It's these testimonies like Bethany shared of a student who is 12, 13 years old who last week says, can you pray that I could find my dad or that, I, that my dad would come home? And in that week, God did what he said he would do right? David said that a while ago. That's our goal. That was Luke's goal for us to see in this book is that God always does what he says he's going to do. As you probably remember, Luke was a traveling companion of Paul and he heard all of these stories from Paul and other believers about who Jesus was. And Luke wrote this book after researching and interviewing all of the people that he could so that he could fully understand this person of Jesus. So in his frame of mind, Luke's thinking, Paul is saying all of these things. I've had some of these experiences of my own, and there's all of these thousands of people that interact with Jesus. I'm going to go interview them, and I'm going to compile this whole work so that I can know for myself who Jesus is. What I haven't pointed out to you, but you may have possibly put together, is that Luke is a disciple of Paul, right? And we're going to talk about what it means to be a disciple a little bit this morning. In fact, Luke is doing this because he is being discipled by Paul. That's part of the discipleship process is learning for yourself and helping the person that you're discipling to know Jesus for themselves. Paul wanted others to know what he discovered through God-exclusive activity. If you remember Paul's story, his name used to be Saul. And again, we're talking about names today. And David even mentioned this morning the significance of God changing a person's name. So here is this man, Saul, who is persecuting the Christian church. He's on the road. You remember the story? God reveals himself 
Saul is blinded and God says, why are you persecuting me? And he has this moment of God-exclusive activity where what he did not know before is now changed and now he understands that Jesus is the Messiah. No doubt Paul shared that story, right? As he is telling people about who Jesus is and the things that he is able to do. What we've already been learning these first few weeks in this study is the, the power that comes from hearing God and doing what he says, and telling others about what God is doing in your life as you go through that process, as we abide in Christ. Experiencing and sharing those experiences is the very thing that Jesus told us to do. Flip with me real quick. We're going to be in Luke uh, today, but flip back a couple of pages with me to Matthew chapter 28. We, We talk about this all the time, but this was in my devotions this week, and I wanted to bring it back out again. In verse 19, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what is Jesus, this is a quiz, real quick, y'all say out loud. What is Jesus telling them to do? Make disciples, right? We've talked about that before. That's not new. Jesus called these 11 men to be his followers. That's what a disciple is. And he spent about three years with them, teaching them and revealing who God was. At the end of that time, Jesus tells them to go and do the exact same thing that he did for them. Walk with people. Experience me. Do as the Father tells you to do and let people go along that journey with you. This idea of being called by God to share who he is frames what we're going to talk about today. That's why I wanted to take that time to look back at that passage. Church, I want you to understand that sharing your experiences with with God and with other people is not an optional activity for a disciple maker. Sharing your experiences with God is not an optional activity. It's in the DNA. It is what a disciple is and what they do. We're going to dig deeper into this idea as we move through this book of Luke. But for today, God wants us to recognize the power and the simplicity of hearing, obeying, seeing, and then sharing. That's what we're going to focus on today. When we hear, obey, see, and share God, we are preparing the way for Jesus to move in our friends' and our families' lives. These are the building blocks of what it means to be a disciple. So we're about to read Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 66. If you want to go ahead and flip there and open that up. As you turn there, I want to remind you of the power of Mary's testimony to a fellow believer. Okay, again, her faith was solid. We talked about that last week and the week before. Because of her faith was solid, this young woman, her faith was so solid because of what she experienced of God's activity through angel Gabriel appearing to her. And the testimony of Elizabeth when she walked in the door and Elizabeth exclaimed, blessed are you among all mothers because of what is in your womb, right? Those two things concreted for Mary the fact that God is always going to do what he says he's going to do. God was at work in her life, he was at work in Zachariah's life, and he's at work in Elizabeth's life. As we explore God's word together today, I want you to see that God is at work in your life too. That this is not activity that's exclusive to the Bible. And we're going to break that down at the end of the sermon today. But I want us to understand as we read this book, as we study God's word today, his intent is for us to see that that activity is still alive and well today. So let's dig in together and discover something new about God and, uh, and how he works in our lives. So Luke chapter 1 verses 57 through 66 it says, Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. 
Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her this great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. And when they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, he will be called John. Then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to the father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them and all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart saying, what then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. If we backtrack for just a moment, in case you're not familiar with the story, Zechariah was a priest who was chosen by God or by Lot to go into the Holy of Holies, into the sanctuary in the temple a place that very few people ever got to go. And his job when he went in, there was incense burning there. We all know what that is. It was to clean up the ashes from the old incense, put new incense in, and light it and come right back out. So it's a very quick job. Zachariah goes into the sanctuary as he's told, but when he gets in there, this angel Gabriel appears to him and he speaks to him. We talked about this several weeks ago and he tells him, look, your, your wife is going to have a son, and you're going to call him John. And Zachariah says what no man should ever say, how could this be my wife is so old? Okay, don't say that. Just warning you. So, the angel said, well look, since you didn't believe me, not only is your wife going to be pregnant, but you're not going to be able to hear, and you're not going to be able to speak until all of these things happen. So Zachariah finishes his duty, comes out, everybody's amazed because now he can't speak and talk. They know he had an interaction with God. He goes home, his wife gets pregnant, and and now we're going to pick up here with the story today. So Mary, picking up where we left off last week, Mary has just left, okay, shortly after Elizabeth goes into childbirth. What I want us to see today is three points. Number one is that their community celebrated God's work with them. So these people know bits and pieces of this story, but not the whole thing. But again, I want to point out that Luke is drawing on this same thing that we've been discussing all morning and all week, or the last couple of weeks. God's always going to do what he says he'll do. Look back with me at Luke chapter 1, verse 14. It's one page over. At the promise that God gave gave Gabriel to tell Zechariah. Look at verse 14. It says, There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. Wow, that's incredible. That's exactly what happened, right? Mary's friends, or Elizabeth and Zachariah's friends and family, hear that it, it says that God has bestowed this great mercy upon her. God said there would be joy and, re- and rejoicing, and there was. I mentioned when we studied Zachariah and Elizabeth early in this chapter, but I want to remind you that during this time, a woman's value was centered around her ability to give birth to children. Right? And so for Elizabeth, there's this social stigma that's on her. People assume she must have done something wrong because she was not able to have children. And in this moment, in this work, not only did God bless her with a child, He did it in an incredible way. This is what, when we talk about God-exclusive activity, this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. When we talk about God-exclusive activity, we're talking about stuff like Glenn shared this morning and Bethany shared this morning through our testimony time of things that only God can get credit for. Things that happen that the world looks at and goes, that is not explainable. And those of us who know the Lord go, yeah, it is. Not a coincidence. God's working here. God did this in a way that he would be glorified through their lives. That his activity would be seen. 
This story, it says, was the talk of the town. So the word gets out that Elizabeth had this son, and it's obvious that God did all this work. And as a result of God's blessing, their friends and family come to celebrate God. They're coming to celebrate this blessing that God has bestowed upon their family. And it says on the eighth day, which was the custom set forth by God, with who? Abraham. Y'all remember we were going to talk about him? As a reminder of the covenant that God made with his people. So they gather together to mark this covenant made by God to Abraham. Again, Luke is pointing us back to these promises that God's made. Flip back with me to Genesis chapter 17 verses 1 through 8. It says, when Abraham was 99 years old. That's old. David mentioned this earlier. He's an old man. The Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty, live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down, and God spoke to him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, your name will be Abraham, for I will make you the father of many nations." I will make you extremely fruitful and will make the nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. This child is a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. He is in the line of all of the fulfillment of God's promise to make this man Abram, who had no children, to become Abraham, who is the father of nations. I want us to think of this ceremony as we would a baby dedication, right? When we have a new child, we bring them in and we dedicate them to the Lord. We say that we are going to, as a, as a family, I'm going to raise my child to come to know the Lord. And as a church family, we commit together that we are going to do everything in our power to help to raise that child to know the Lord. This is what's happening here. This child is the fulfillment of God's promise. So everybody's here. It's an extraordinary moment because of all that God has done in the past and all that he's doing through this new baby. And their family arrives at the ceremony in verse 59. It says, they were going to name him Zachariah after his father. So let's just pause and talk about this for a moment. When it says they, it's talking about their friends and their family. Raise your hand if you know of anybody in the world that you know personally that allows someone else to name their child. Anybody? That is not normal, right? It wasn't normal then either, and I want us to see that. I can't think of any instances in my life where that has happened, where someone has said, you know what, friends, family, I want you to name this child for me because I don't know what to do. Maybe it happens, but it's not normal. In all of Scripture, there are two instances where this happens. Once is in Exodus when Pharaoh's daughter, who she found, Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses in a basket, right? And she renames him Moses. And the second was with Ruth when she had a child. The friends of Naomi call him Obed, which means the child of Ruth, right? So that's pretty, pretty straightforward. This was not a cultural norm. And this brings me to point number two today is that their friends and family unknowingly tried to hijack God's plan. I have no doubt that they were well-meaning. 
But God had other plans. Look at verse 58 through 59 again. It says, Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zachariah after his father. Church, it was, it was typical for the mother to name the child, and sometimes the father would. But typically in their culture, the mother fulfilled that role. And while it was common to give a child a family name, which is what this family is trying to do, it was not common to give them their father's name, right? We know people in the Bible like uh, John, the son of who? Zebedee, right? We, that's one of the disciples. We've heard of him before. To name this child Zachariah would mean, because they didn't have last names, that this would be Zachariah, son of Zachariah. Y'all see how awkward that feels, right? They didn't use Junior, to my knowledge, in these, in these days. And, and I know why they wanted to name him that. Do you remember what Zachariah's name means? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Anybody? God remembers. So it makes sense to name the child that, right? God remembered his promise. This makes total sense, but it's not what God said to do. And this is where Elizabeth speaks up and says, no, his name will be John. In the face of her family, she stood her ground and was faithful to do what God said he would do. I don't know about you, but I've got experiences in my life where God spoke for me to do something. And I shared that with friends and family, and they were like, no, you can't do that. That's the wrong move. And again, we've got to look to Elizabeth's faithfulness here to say, no, this is what God said to do. Again, I'm sure they're well-meaning, but they argue with her. Look at verse 60 through 62. It says, but the mother responded, no, he'll be called John. But then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. Y'all, they're finna get in trouble, aren't they? Not only did they argue, but they tried to overrule her by asking Zachariah. Say, well, she's not giving the answer we want, so let's, let's go ask Zachariah. But Zachariah backed her up and he says, no, he will be called John. Look at verse 63 through 66. He, he asked for a writing tablet. Remember, he's deaf and mute. He can't, can't hear, can't speak. So they motioned him and said, what do you want it to be called? And he wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them and all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart saying, what then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand is on him. Do you remember what Gabriel told Zechariah would happen? When all these things were completed, he said, you're not going to be deaf and you're not going to be mute anymore. And so upon Zechariah stepping out in obedience and saying, no, his name will be John, immediately his mouth is open, his ears are open, and he begins to sing the praises. He is telling people, he is sharing with them all of these things that God has done. They have not heard this story in full yet. Now they are. Now they get to see God's work. Zachariah and Elizabeth's obedience, this is point number three, Zachariah and Elizabeth's obedience revealed more of what God was doing and it caused all to be in awe and wonder about God. As soon as Zachariah went through with obedience about what Gabriel told him, his mouth and ears were open. All this time, Zachariah had been waiting to tell everybody about what God was doing. And all that he experienced. And as he shared all that God had done and why everything happened the way that it did, their friends and family were amazed, not by Zechariah, not by Elizabeth, 
but by what God had done. Don't forget, church, it had been over 400 years since God had spoken through a prophet. 400 years. Nothing from God. And now this baby's born. And Zechariah has this miraculous moment where all of a sudden he couldn't speak and now he can speak. And he says, guys, let me tell you what happened when I was in the sanctuary. I know y'all knew something was up. Let me tell you what happened. And then begin to share this story. All of a sudden, after 400 years, God shows up in this really big way. And to say that it got the town's attention is an understatement. It said that that news spread all over the hill country of Judea, right? Everybody was talking about this. Because of Zechariah and Elizabeth's obedience and God-exclusive activity, God, or people began to wonder about who this child might be. And while they might not have had the faith to believe, I'm sure that there was some talk like, y'all, let me tell you this story I heard. It sounds a little crazy. But let me tell you what happened in Z and E's life. I don't know. You can make your own conclusion, but this is what they're saying. They may not have had the faith. And we're going to look at Zachariah's response next week, but I want to draw out some application for us. Because Zachariah and Elizabeth absolutely had the faith that they needed to fulfill what God had called them to do. Not because they welded up inside themselves, not because they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, but because they had all of these experiences from, from starting with Zechariah in the temple and his experience with Gabriel, and then Elizabeth, who couldn't get pregnant, is now pregnant, and now she's had a child. All of this had stacked up so that the things that God is still speaking, and I love this morning that David brought out that when God says something, it's already done, even if it's in the future. Zachariah and Elizabeth knew that by personal experience because they had walked in obedience to what God had told them to do. So to recap, God spoke to Zachariah, told him what was going to happen. Elizabeth, in fact, does have a son and their friends and family come to celebrate it. But they try to take control and tell Elizabeth how she should respond to God's work. Elizabeth stands firm and follows God's instructions. Zachariah backs her up and God reveals himself as he opens Zachariah's ears and mouth again. And everybody's in awe of what's happening. So church, here's what I want us to see. Here's how that same kind of God-exclusive activity can play out in your life. God's going to give you a direction. By the way, I just want to say, as, as, uh, I want to pause for a moment. When we talk about hearing God's voice. It's the kinds of things like we experienced this morning. An answer to prayer with a 13-year-old. God answering prayers and, and moving in ways that were unexpected in the Colleen Church. God giving David and Leah the same stream of thought that he's giving me for today. All of that is God speaking. So God's going to give us a direction. He's going to give us a directive. And as you choose to follow him, well-meaning bystanders are going to give you their opinion on what's happening and how you should respond. Church, it's going to happen if it has not before. And I'm not, God, we know God speaks to other believers, right? Everybody shake your head. Yes, he absolutely can. But we got to bring that back to God and say, God, Glenn's giving me this advice. Is this what you're saying? And let God speak to that. If you fold to that pressure without going back to God, you're going to miss out on what God's doing. And so will the people in your life. This is a big deal. It's important. This is not something we just play with. However, if you stand your ground and you have faith that God will do the things that he says he'll do, you and those same people who spoke against you are going to get to see God-exclusive activity. You are going to learn something about God you didn't know before, and so will they. Look back with me again at what God said John was going to do when Gabriel was revealing all this to Zechariah. Look at verses 16 and 17 in Luke chapter 1. 
says, He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And He will go before Him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. God's directive for John's life was to prepare the way for Jesus. Literally from the moment, think about this, from the moment that Mary walks into Elizabeth's house, God is fulfilling the promise through an unborn baby. She walks in the door. Mary walks in the door and Elizabeth experiences she's filled with the Holy Spirit and so is John. Jesus ain't even born yet, neither is John. But God was working in them. Then in his first week of life, he's only eight days old. We see God working through him again to reveal God's character and plan to turn the hearts of these people toward God. Without baby, the people wouldn't have gathered, right? And so here's an eight-day-old baby who again is preparing the way for Jesus. And all he was was born. Can't even talk yet. Church, we have the same directive as followers of Christ. As we live in an abiding relationship with God, as we hear, obey, see, and share, God is going to show up in our lives. He's going to do what He says He's going to do. But we don't have the Spirit and the power of Elijah as John did. We'll have the Spirit and the power of God Himself. And that's way better than Elijah in case you didn't know. The Spirit of God is going to be working in us and through us When Jesus tells us to go and make disciples, look back at at Matthew again. I want you to see this with your own eyes. Matthew 28, verse 20. After he tells them to go and make disciples, he says, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our lives and God's activity in it will prepare people's hearts to receive God. That's what God wants us to see. Our lives, with God's activity infused into it, are going to prepare people to know Jesus. Our world is full of people who think that they know God. What they really know, what a lot of us knew for a long time was just dead religion. We knew about steps to go through and activities that we thought might make us better people. But when people get a taste of who God really is and how much He loves them and cares for them, it is going to cause a radical shift in their understanding of who God is. Not because they tried real hard to be a better person, but because God is working in their life. When we share with other people what God is saying, especially when it's things that are way outside of our control, and then God does what He says He's going to do, people will see God's glory. John, as an infant, was already preparing the way for Jesus to be born. Imagine what God can do with you. You've been born a long time. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It doesn't matter how old you are. We just saw it right here. You don't have to be born yet. God can use you. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what social status you have. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made in your life. It doesn't matter if you think you're good enough or ready enough. As you are in this moment, God wants to work in your life. He's waiting on you. God's desire is for us to know Him. And He does that by meeting us where we are right now. He's not waiting for a future day when we're better people. He loves you as you are, sees you as you are, and wants to be involved in your life. And when we're ready, when we say, okay, God, let's do this thing. 
He will speak. And it's as simple as hearing it, obeying it, seeing his activity, and sharing it with other people. Our lives and the world will change through our simple yet powerful acts of obedience. Church, God wants to work in all of our lives. He doesn't want these testimonies that we share to be sparse in our lives. This kind of stuff can happen every day if we will simply wake up in the morning and say, okay, God, this is your day. Tell me what you want me to do with it. And then do what he says. Walk the way he asks you to walk. Do the things he asks you to do. Let's pray. Jesus, I am in awe every time I open your word. It blows me away that you desire to know us in this level. Father, it is such a blessing to get to to walk this out with a group of people that love you so much. Father, it is a blessing to get to worship with a group of people who know you. Father, I ask that in every person's life that is in this room, no matter where they are, if they're not even born yet, to if they're the oldest person in the room, God, I ask that you would work in their lives, that you would have activity happening around them that they could not deny is you. Father, if there's anybody in this room that is struggling with what it means to hear God or struggling to walk in obedience to something, Father, I ask that you would surround them with the people that they need to encourage them. Father, I ask that you would speak peace and truth and joy into their lives no matter what it is that they're dealing with. Father, make yourself known to us. We plead. God, all that this world has to offer pales in comparison with the beauty of knowing you. Father, give us that desire every day when we wake up. You would draw us to yourself that nothing else would be more important in our day than knowing you. And Father, as we we do that, as we walk in obedience, as we walk in that desire that you're giving us, Father, people would see it and they'd be drawn to you. And we would have opportunities to share the truth about about who you are and how much you love us. Father, we forsake all things but this call, this mission to know you and to make you known. Jesus, we ask these things, we plead these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand.